on 106 to 108 FM and Newstalk.com. This this is Newstalk. I know the news came in um, during the nine o'clock news on RT television last night about this crash in Monaghan. And we were told at that stage that it was a serious crash. And of course, it's now turned out to be such a tragic incident. Uh, several of the papers have it on the front page. The Irish Daily Mail, two dead and three hurt after crash on way to Debs. The Irish Daily Star on its front page, Debs crash horror, teen girls die, three others hurt on way to school do. The Irish Diddy Mirror, two teens killed in Deb's crash horror. Girls 16 and 17 die and three others hurt in accident on way to event. And also the Irish Sun on the front page, two teens dead in Deb's night horror. Three others in hospital, two fighting for their life. Two teenage students were killed in a tragic crash on the way to their Deb's last night. Three other people badly injured in the horror smash, which happened on the N54 near Clonus. I think it's the Clonus to Smithborough Road, uh, the N54 in County Monaghan. Uh, they've been rushed to hospital and it's believed all five passengers were travelling in the same car. It's understood one was the grandfather. So you imagine uh, a grandfather, two teenage girls and, and perhaps two boys uh, all on their way to the Debs to couples going to their Debs. It's just horrific. It really is. And you think of uh, the journey that so many people have made to their Debs and maybe their parents or grandparents drive them to the ball itself. And um, it's just an absolute tragedy. We'll have more throughout the day here on News Talk on this emerging story. But the news is that two teenage girls have died in a Debs night horror is how the Irish Sun describes it. The Irish Independent looks at uh, Sligo and the deaths last week or last year of two men. Um, as we, you may be aware, yesterday Yusuf Palani pleaded guilty to the gruesome killings of Aidan Moffat and Michael Snee, as well as a vicious assault on another man. But the Irish Independent says this morning that a six-figure sum of cash was found hidden when Gardaí searched the home of a man who murdered two men over two days last year, the Irish Independent can reveal. So they have a big investigation uh, into their deaths and now we await the victim impact statements from the families of Aidan Moffat and Michael Snee because there won't be the usual trial given the fact that Yusuf Polanyi has actually pleaded guilty to the killings of both men. The Irish Times looks at gold in the National Party. So I'm sure you heard this story in recent weeks. And now the news on the front of the Irish Times is that the Standards in Public Office Commission, that is SIPO, is pledging to investigate concerns raised about some €400,000 in gold bars stored in a vault belonging to the National Party. The latest development comes after the party's president, Justin Barrett, was ousted from his position. Uh, But then he has denied now that this has happened. The party said in a statement Mr Barrett was removed from his post in mid-July before claims emerged that gold bars had been removed from a party vault due to an overwhelming lack of confidence from active party members in the continued ability to lead the party. Justin Barrett has denied he had been involved and said it was not possible to do so under party rules. And now Fine Gael councillor Emma Blaine has written to SIPO asking them to investigate the source of the funding uh, because the National Party uh, has never submitted uh, accounts to SIPO. SIPO says it will follow up. But Gardaí believe that only a fraction of the gold is owned by the National Party and the rest of the gold bars are owned by senior 
party members. There's the makings of a Netflix uh, documentary into this story, I think. But anyway, it's on the front of the Irish Times. Bit of road to go in it yet. The Irish Examiner looks at the Irish women's soccer teams. The photograph on the front page is of Ireland managers or Ireland players and manager Vera Pau uh, cheering as captain Katie McCabe speaks in the team huddle after Ireland's draw with Nigeria yesterday. Uh, so obviously, you know, great achievement for Ireland to make it this far. But now the question is, uh, what's the future for Vera Pau and what's going on with this apparent war of words between Vera Pau and Katie McCabe and some of the papers saying there's a cloud now over the future of manager Vera Pau. The Irish Examiner says that her players have been tight-lipped with their views on whether she should stay on or not and there was further coolness evident in Pau's post-match remarks about captain Katie McCabe who appeared to approach the Ireland bench during the second half and ask for substitutions to be made. Now Vera Pau confirmed what happened. She said if Katie McCabe wants a change it doesn't mean she's not the coach yeah why would we change everybody was doing so well so I said what do you want Katie taking the best player off a player is allowed to be emotional and say that but I step back to analyse and make changes that are necessary so unfortunately a bit of a cloud uh, and a difficult long flight home to Ireland it would seem if the rumours are true that there's a bit of a row going on between Vera Pau and Katie McCabe but anyway I'm sure there'll be some sort of homecoming either way the Irish Examiner staying with that paper says that councillors and candidates for election should not have to publish their home addresses um, I'd say a lot of people probably agree with this do you need to know the home address of every election candidate Green Party TD Patrick Costello has written to Minister Kieran O'Donnell and the Electoral Commission saying that the practice needs to end before next year's local elections. Uh, And in some cases, the councils, when people are elected, publish the home address and the phone number, the mobile number and the landline of an elected representative. But even before they get elected, when you go up for election, you have to give your home address. And there are concerns that there could be some far-right attacks on election candidates. So Patrick Costello says that um, there should be action in light of a recent number of incidents where homes of politicians were targeted, including an incident in Ballybrack, where a window in the family home of Councillor Hugh Lewis was smashed by anti-migrant protesters. So I suppose the point Patrick Costello would be making is that we're in a digital age Uh, You can get a lot of personal information at the moment. And should you have the home address on a ballot or does that pose a significant safety risk? Uh, And do we need more to protect our politicians and potential politicians? So interesting one there. Now, the Mail has the viewing figures for the All-Ireland Final, but we're talking about the BBC here, not just RTE. And the news is that nearly one million people tuned in to the BBC's coverage of the All-Ireland Final. So you may be aware on Sunday on BBC Two, I was one of those who watched it, I'm sure some of you were too, they showed the All-Ireland Final and people at both sides of the Irish Sea tuned into the BBC to watch their coverage of the All-Ireland Final instead. So they got 0.8 million viewers Pretty good, you'd imagine, for BBC Two on a Sunday afternoon. And I suppose what helped them, uh, certainly what I enjoyed, was that there were no ads. So that we, didn't, we didn't have like two or three ad breaks uh, in half time. You could just watch all the coverage. And also they had some celebrities. So you had Paul Meskell, Darrow Breen, Adrian Dunbar, Patrick Hilty, David O'Doherty, all kind of helping out the commentary team during the game. And it looks like this 
boosted ratings. So they uh, seem to be delighted with this. Nearly a million people tuning in. I will say the commentary was excellent too, so I really enjoyed it. Now, uh, an average of 971,000 people did watch on the Sunday game live on RT2. So RT is still way ahead of the BBC, but I'd say BBC will be happy with their decision to air the match. A couple of final stories, one from The Sun. Um, Beyonce is on tour at the moment. She started her tour in Stockholm back in May. Ticket prices are through the roof. I saw somewhere the average about 500 quid to get a ticket for her show. She's now on the US leg of the tour. This is the Renaissance tour, which didn't come to Ireland. A lot of people disappointed with that. But the news today in the sun is that Beyonce is selling listening only tickets for 142 euro for her concert. And when we say listening only, we mean that the seats offer no view of the show. So instead, you are sitting at the back of the stage where you can't see Beyonce, but you can just listen to her performing for €142. And fans are up in arms, one telling The Sun that the whole point of going to the concert is seeing Beyonce in person and watching the spectacle of the production. It's ridiculous. If I only wanted to hear the concert, I'd stand outside in the car park. Or how about just stick on a Beyonce album instead? Might make more sense than forking out €142. quid. Very expensive for uh, tour tickets there and you can't even see her on stage with some of those. Finally, from the Times of London, if you are trying to contact your colleagues, if you're trying to send them an email, maybe you're a boss and you want to send uh, an email to all your staff, the Times of London says it won't make you very popular, but the best time to send an email to your staff is Sunday between 3pm and 6pm. So the Times of London says, for those hoping for replies to their work emails, there's good news and bad, because if you uh, send an email between 3pm and 6pm on a Sunday, it's the ideal period to send an email, because those sent during this time are opened 94% of the time. So a software company has gone off and looked at 8.7 million emails and found that emails sent on Sunday afternoon or evening were most likely to be read. And the reason is that because there's not many emails floating around on a Sunday evening, it's top of the inbox on a Monday morning. And so first thing Monday morning, your colleagues will get the email. Now, the bad news is you're not going to be very, very popular with your colleagues for sending a Sunday email. Um, and there's a thing called techno invasion, according to experts. That's, that's a sense of the work technology creeping into your personal life as well. And my worry, according to one expert, Dr. Matthew Davis, is that we people will see this and think, I'll start sending these emails more routinely on a weekend. So I suppose it's back to the old thing. If it's an emergency, maybe send it out on a Sunday. But if it's just sort of a quick email, probably Monday morning is fine. Send it at 6am or 8am Monday morning rather than Sunday between 3 and 6. But if you want to be effective, that's the best time to do it. Now, those are the stories making the headlines in the papers. On 106 to 108 FM and Newstalk.com. This, this is Newstalk.